0: Hello everyone. I'm Kevin Gastola. Welcome to the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast, and I'm joined by the co-host Rania Kalik. Hey, Rania. And it's great. Crazy
1: to... week.
0: It's uh, <laughs> it's the world is burning, all around us. Yeah, the mm-hmm. continent to continent. On different.
1: I was gonna say on different continents, the world is burning. There.
0: And I wasn't prepared. The Central
1: African Republic has forest fires, as well as the Amazon. And they're Although the ones in the worse. Amazon appear to be man-made well the ones in the Amazon though appear to be man-made perhaps
0: yeah but I wasn't the... I wasn't prepared for like Amazon to give people this like springboard to finally maybe address like how bad it is on the African continent in the Congo basin so to speak
1: yeah but yeah
0: anyways we're gonna come back to that which is it's important but a lot of people have been talking about And we had some issues and stories to get to and then circle back to that very serious subject, uh, which is I think we wanted to start by the episode we did last week with Jamie Kilstein, sort of like running down and kind of doing a deconstruction or like deprogram, like just reacting to the way it all
1: debriefing, 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 one of those D
0: words that I'm searching for in my brain, but (laughs) haven't gotten to because the coffee still is taking its effect.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah, it was interesting because we had a lot of like, uh, we had a lot of positive responses and reactions. But then there was a couple of negative Nellie's. There was a couple of negative reactions uh I'm not gonna name any names but there was one person in particular who was just like so upset and outraged as though that we had like forced him to listen to our podcast um <laughs> yeah I like that's what I love it's like I you're I mean you're welcome to be a, like to be critical of like what we talk about and listen and to have feedback, it's fine. But it always gets me how there's people out there who seem to act like we're like forcing them to listen to us. Like you went out of your way to listen to our podcast episode. And then you proceeded to wag your finger at us in the most condescending way imaginable for having on someone you don't like. And for talking about something that you disagree with, like, Fuck off. I'm sorry, but fuck you. Well it's like started no one with, you to listen.
0: The thing that was really irritating is it's it, it again proves to me that Twitter is not the place for engaging with what we talk about on this show because it you're drilling it down to a, a, like a sound bite or like one statement from it, it gave this person who hated what we did The ability to just take a phrase that he did not like that was said in the episode.
1: It was a joke. Like, it was an obvious joke. That's, like, another thing is taking things people say out of context. Like, obviously, I'm not sexist. Like, if I'm pretending to be a misogynist or a sexist, like, and you believe that that's actually me, like, you're an idiot.
0: Well, and then he was (laughs) subtweeting. He was subtweeting both of us in order to not confront... Which speaks another way to the culture, because in my mind, I said, hey, I see you. I know that you're talking trash about our episode, and I want you to say it to us if you actually have a critique. And then when we pushed, or I pushed, finally, uh, he was like, okay, well, I didn't want this confrontation, but since we're going to have it, you answer my question. And was like forcing me to answer this question about because he claimed that cancel culture was made up, that we were making up that it exists, even as it was happening, even as it was happening. Like he's doing the very thing he says is made up. But then also almost simultaneously, you have Brett Stevens actually trying to get a professor canceled. For, like, yeah. For, yeah. Like, so from his job, like it's amazing that he's sitting there acting like it's not a universal problem. And also said I was ascribing odd motives to him because I said very like I just kept coming back to this thing. I said, look, you went you went looking for something you could tweet about to your followers so that it would get them all riled up, and then you could go after someone. It's what you do. It's effective in working your uh, social media presence and he was like that's really odd that's that's an unusual I know it's not like I've done it before I know you do it before everyone's done it before they know that if they find one thing they can latch on to it makes people interested and then they argue about stuff
1: right and you know like what really annoys me and this is like a more personal aspect of it is this is somebody I know who like when I lived in DC I would hang out with every so often Someone I considered like a, a friend, you know, not a great, good friend or anything, I didn't see him that often, but like someone who was like a friend. Um, so that's what upset me even more is this kind of behavior online, not that it's okay to treat people like this or talk to people like this, but there's something that's particularly aggravating about somebody trying to do that to you when they know you personally. Mm-hmm. Like that really offended me. And it the- really, really, really offended me.
0: And finally, I think one of the last things that was stated just got right to the point, which is what I wanted him to get to right away, which was Jamie was covered in this Jezebel article, which we talked about on the prior episode. It contained allegations against him. This person who was coming after us over the episode believes every single one of those allegations. And if that's the case... I can't talk to you because you need to listen to the show because the person who was involved in that just addressed what was said about them. And you can decide whether you believe it or not, but I can't talk to you about the allegations because we took the episode, this is my basic point, we took the episode, we produced a show that takes the story further and adds to it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't want to come along for that ride, then I can't talk to you.
1: Well, on top of that, like, you made a really good point uh, where it's like he was upset we had Jamie on and that Jamie's being given a platform anywhere. And you made a really good point where you're like, Jamie literally disappeared for an entire year. Mm -hmm. Like, he disappeared publicly for a whole year because of what this did to his life. Like, that's not enough punishment for you. Like, you want this person to be, like, squeezed out of existence forever, Yes. Like, I, I, I don't agree with that sort of... Retru- like, it's like re- it's like this... Re- like, it's just this, like, punishing retribution that's never-ending for allegations and Jezebel that we... I mean, look, if you missed the episode, you can go back and listen to it. um Because, like, we don't need to address all that again here. But that was really gross. Like, the notion that, like... That, like, we're being too easy on Jamie. The guy disappeared for a year and was, like, suicidal. Yeah. Because of the impact of this sort of cancel culture that it has on people's lives. And like the, the flippant way that people like this person and others go about doing this to other people is just so monstrous. Like it really is. And I mean like I think back to like, I think we kind of talked about it a little bit on the last episode, but I didn't emphasize it that much, but like I used to be one of these people when I was younger and dumber. And I understand the attractiveness of it, of, like, uh, participating in sort of, like, a mob-like sense of, like, uh, justice or revenge, you know? I get the appeal, but at the same time, like, grow the fuck up.
0: So we got multiple comments that were positive, and I have to stress this, that as much as we joked on the show about getting canceled it actually went over really well with our audience, with people who listen to the show. Uh, And if people didn't like it, they didn't speak up and tell us. And uh, I do have to say that if you didn't like what we did, there's space for you to say and engage with what we discussed and to respond. Uh, Don't tell us that, like, we need to end our unauthorized disclosure podcast and stop putting out shows because we had (laughs) Jamie Kilstein on. But if you didn't like something we said, we're not a space here where I'm going to be like, well, fuck you, go away. Like I'm going to cancel you being a patron. You think you can cancel us? We'll cancel you. Like, no, I'm not (laughs) going to do that. But we did get a, a few comments in response and they were all positive. And I think it's worth reading them just to, Show that while it was something we grappled with whether to have Jamie on the show because of the allegations against him and not just the allegations against him but because how vicious and pervasive cancel culture is and like when somebody becomes put on like a blacklist it's like you really do stay away from them and mm-hmm. but it worked and uh, we had one comment very fun episode Glad to hear you guys push back against the performative wokeness BS. That's such an impediment to real left politics. Hope you don't get canceled. And then there was another person, um, David, who wrote, "Your Your concerns are consistent with my own experience in many ways. When I wrote an article about the film The Hunting Ground, I only got responses from presumably conservative people involved in defending men from rape accusations. And the only critics I could find were people on the right, like Reason Magazine. Here's a link. So this person wrote an article at Counterpunch about this film that was, if people don't remember this, it, um, I think it did get Oscar buzz as a documentary. And it was about the campus culture, um, the way that people were reporting That they were raped or sexually assaulted on campus and then university administrators were ignoring those allegations apparently Mm -hmm. this person wrote a cultural piece of you know a cultural critique of it looking at some of the things in the film that didn't quite add up based on some other articles that were out there about the film etc in any case the point being that similar to what we are dealing with here having written that and tried to seriously engage that film because it was on the other side, not saying, you know, all the people in this film are telling the truth while he was saying, well, there's some reason to be skeptical, skeptical about some of these parts. Then that just got shut down and pushed aside as like, Oh, he's mm. catering to the right wing. Yeah. Typical. Well, and then uh, there's this other comment that, was left it's easy to make fun of concerns about fat phobia but it is kind of a thing just as physical attractiveness in general has a pretty significant effect on your life chances even economically meta-analyses of physical attractiveness studies reveal that the correlations of physical attractiveness with occupational success are on par with or sometimes even exceed those between education and occupational success Catherine Hakim reports In her book about the topic that attractive people get a 10 to 20 percent, quote, beauty premium, end quote, on their incomes while fat women get a pay penalty. It's pretty wild, but it's true. So I understand where all those complaints are coming from. It was a fun episode, though. You should have this guy on more often. So that's interesting because this is a person who raised an issue with something that was said actually pretty offhand in our episode, even though it's not like we didn't take it seriously. but. They still found the ability to like the overall show that we did.
1: Right. And yeah, we didn't end up going into that. I mean, I would agree with that, what that person said. I wasn't like, I mean, we don't have to, I wasn't like trying to deny that that's an issue. Obviously, like your physical appearance does make a huge difference in how you get treated in your life for sure. I guess the point I was trying to make is that we've gotten to the point where identity politics just creates these more increasingly narrow um, identities to the point where you have like hashtag thin privilege uh, trending, where everything's a privilege, and I disagree with that discourse for a lot of reasons that we can talk about in another time. But what that person said is absolutely true.
0: Yeah, and uh, and and we said as much on uh, the Patreon page. Just uh, left a reply. Letting this person know that this this point does hold up that there is a beauty premium out there and and in fact our culture creates it right we we look at magazines yeah. you look at television you can look at commercials you know what kind of people particularly women are held up and then there's also an image for men as well but like that's it's created by our mass media
1: right and um I think that that's a really good way to like engage in critical feedback like that's a really good example of like of like, oh, this one thing you said, like, might not be true or bothered me. And that's, like, OK. It doesn't mean we have to, like, hate each other. I like, I, like, appreciate that kind of back and forth that's not, like, canceled, you know? I didn't like that you <laughs> said
0: fat phobia in the wrong way. I'm canceling <laughs> my subscription to the show right now. Right. <laughs> it's
1: like but what about all
0: the other stuff we did before then well you never made a mistake before and now you have I'm like, i am like that's find that hard to believe we've been doing this for six years at some point yeah. we probably fucked up in fact
1: there's a couple episodes we did like six years ago that i would probably strongly disagree with myself about i know for sure for a fact actually yeah. There's a couple guests we've had on that I've had falling out with. <laughs> yeah, some of those aren't making
0: any best of compilations that we might be doing no. as like a celebration <laughs> of unauthorized disclosure. Right.
1: But it's, I mean, I just think that um, we, I, the idea that you could like say, I mean, the fact that there's people who listen to this episode that we had last week and could relate because they've experienced this. Demonstrates that this is an actual phenomenon. The fact that there's people trying to deny that there's something called cancel culture, is so pathetic. I mean, I've been canceled several times, so I know there is because I've experienced it personally. I have friends who've experienced it. I mean, there's people really close to me in my life, who have had their like careers shattered because they made one bad comment, and the media, mo- like the social media mob, went after them, and the, like they lost jobs because of it. Like. I've seen that happen to more than one person and it's really, like, it's really isolating and it's terrible. I don't think we should treat people like that. I don't think, I mean, I think Glenn Greenwald always makes this point really well where where he notes that, like, we shouldn't be judging people by their worst comments or by their worst moments because we've all had bad moments. We've all said shitty things before. Some of us maybe don't tweet the shitty things we say, but we've all done it, you know? And sometimes we publicly do it. And that's like, and like, if we hurt other people because of what we say, like, sure, you know, it's fine to like, bring it up and maybe have like, you know, I maybe if I say something fucked up on Twitter, yeah, like, I should maybe like reconsider what I said and learn from it and then be able to move on. But like, aside from advocating violence, or like, you know, (laughs) or like white being like a white nationalist or something, I just like don't think we should be. Uh, treating people this way. And it brings me back, do you remember, Kevin, that girl that like, what did she do? She was like on her way to South Africa or something and she made like a really stupid joke before she boarded her plane. Wasn't it Justine? That was actually making, Justine Sacco? Yeah, that's right. It was like, she was actually, it turns out she was actually mocking racists. She was like being a caricature. but it didn't play well on Twitter. And I remember participating. I remember being one of those people who was like, wait till this bitch lands, like she was trending. Everyone thought it was so funny. This woman's life was ruined for years. She lost her job and couldn't find another one. And I don't think that that's okay. Like, I really don't think, and the way that everybody was so happy to see her get fired. And again, I was one of those people. So like, I'm also speaking from experience to tell you, this culture exists because I used to participate in it.
0: Well, then absolutely. And all of the technology that we have available now can create public documents on the things that you do. So it's like the we talk about social media in the sense of how governments can work with those Silicon Valley companies and do surveillance of all of us. And we talk about the oppression that comes with that. But we also can collectively oppress each other because we all have these records available that we can access. And we are effectively doing audits on people who are uh, a, who have maybe moved on from this idea ideology that they used to have. Or they had ideas, they had not developed, they did not have political awareness they were not educated they did not read about they were stupid issues.
1: kids like yeah.
0: and now you go back to that 10 years and also you don't realize how you're attacking them for something 10 years ago that was mainstream like you have mm-hmm. to like if you're going to cancel one person for what a majority of people believed 10 or 15 years ago it's pretty insane I mean it's the same thing of like it's the same thing of arresting black people in mass for smoking marijuana and letting white kids off because that's how racism manifests itself in our justice system but obviously the revulsion to that is that like everyone's smoking pot so like why shouldn't we all yeah. just smoke pot well okay everyone's saying some stupid bullshit about things that we're trying to change year to year to year and I think as long as it's not like malicious and trying to go Mm -hmm. out and destroy people, there's really no reason to treat it as like this offense that becomes a D mark on their record. And then you're like never wanting to do anything with that person ever. Yeah.
1: Right. No, it's completely outrageous and, and, and it's not practical. And it's also so hypocritical because again, like we've all had shitty moments. And social media just happens to like be a place where we end up recording our shitty moments sometimes, um, and so to use that against someone ten or fifteen years later is really messed up. And then also, um, I think it might be a good time to mention like as all this was taking as all this conversation we were having was taking place, Dave Chappelle's new Netflix special came out. It's almost like he knew.
0: <laughs> the timing's incredible like, I mean it went up Sunday night it. like the same time that we had put like no more than you know 12 to 24 hours after we had put
1: we, we scooped Dave Chappelle on cancel culture <laughs> um but no and he has this really good bit he does uh and it, I thought it was so funny I was like I was like I loved it I loved the whole thing um, but he has this really good bit he does about cancel culture where he like, he's like doing impressions and he's like, guess what this one is. And then he like acts like online people where he's just like, if you did something 15 or 10 years ago and I find out about it, like, I'm going to make sure you never work again. And then, he, and then he's like, who am I? And then people were like Trump. And he was like, no, I'm you. <laughs> <Our> audiences suck. <laughs> But it's so true. yeah, it's so true, and I think it exists more in the realm of comedy more than anywhere else. This yeah whole, like
0: so I, I got a thing. Sh- I got a chance to talk about this in in pretty good detail with Jamie Kilstein on his podcast, and you know, I probably will use the show account to share that episode when it goes up. but uh, I'm wondering what you think as uh, someone who has consumed this entertainment. As well because I've arrived at this uh, theory which has to do with how the news media has declined and and so first Mm -hmm. off I think the one problem that Dave Chappelle has um, without getting into the different details of his episode of his special which are uh, you know there's a couple things that I could highlight just because they're really um, intelligent and it's so funny but I'm wondering if you think that we take our comedians way too seriously.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, I re- and I think it's really crazy, too, to, like, um, not only really take them seriously, but take the jokes that they say as actual statements of their politics.
0: Exactly. And that's where I was leading. And I, But I think that the reason why that's happened is because of the fact that we do not trust elites in this country, that there are very few politicians who are leaders and, well, just because it's an easy example, that have favorability like Bernie Sanders, or you don't have, uh, I mean, you also have a deep mistrust for the people who run our corporations, who run these businesses, with good reason. I'm not saying that we should change our attitudes, but because of the decline in our country, you see comedians asked to fill a void that they maybe shouldn't be
1: asked to do. Right. That's a good point. That's a really good point. And so, like, it's kind of like the, like, looking, yeah, looking to comedians as sort of, like, our political analysts because, um, is a really bad idea.
0: Because look at who got <laughs> the 9-11 responders their health care. It was Jon Stewart.
1: Right. And that's right. just one small well, I think, example. I think John... I mean, I don't know. I think Jon Stewart's a little bit different because his show was explicitly political. Like, it was a mix of comedy and pol- in politics. But yeah, the fact that he became looked at as, like, a political analyst does say something about society because, again, it's a comedy show. But I mean, I guess his comedy was a little bit different, you know? Even his comedy was a little bit different than, than like, a Dave Chappelle who's like a stand, you know, who's doing stand-up.
0: Well, to your I more, don't know. Well, to your more general point, I noticed during the special that, I think you're really correct to say this, that there are jokes that are being told in these specials that are taken as political statements or an expression of what that comedian believes about certain mm-hmm. issues. I mean, one of the more hilarious bits, and I watched this one time, because I wanted to watch it for myself. I watched it a second time because I wanted to show it to someone else and see how they responded to the special. Um, Mm -hmm. And and watching it both ways was really fun. But the one time when he brings up abortion is amazing because he's setting up a joke and somebody shouts from the audience and and he says like, um, I can't repeat it because I'm not going to, but he's just like, you know, shut up and then like, He continues on with the bit he's trying to do because he's like, I'm not for abortion. And then somebody yells at him from the audience and he's like, and then he's like, but I'm not against it. (laughs) That was his line. (laughs) And he's setting up a joke and people take,
1: and it was a funny joke. It was a funny
0: joke. (laughs) And here's the thing. Nobody's going to come out as a comedian on stage and just dryly speak their political view like
1: i'm in support that's boring (laughs) of
0: workers rights like where is this going this is boring
1: yeah Um,
0: yeah
1: no it's true and it's like uh
0: it seems like this culture just wants people to to you know i want to know that you agree with me
1: Yeah, and it's, like, also a very specific kind of person. It's these, like, liberal elites. Like, it really is. These, like, liberal, um, socially, like, woke people who are the most offended. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're the ones who are most offended. They can't take any jokes about anything. Everything's offensive. Rape is offensive. Abortion is offensive. Like, anything that has those words in it is extremely offensive. Like, you just shouldn't be able to enjoy or laugh about anything. When I'm actually kind of convinced those people, like, consume the same stuff and actually do laugh about it. They just, like, also you – no, know, I really am because I think they – like, I, I – <laughs> like, I mean, it was just funny to me, too, because I actually tweeted. I was like, oh, my God, Dave Chappelle's new special is so good. And I got a couple tweet like, tweet replies to me that were like, that were like, oh my God, I can't believe you think this, unfollowed.
0: (laughs) That was like, that's crazy.
1: Like, like just because I like to come, like a comedy special. And like, I like actually like posted a clip of his, a clip from it on you, on, uh, I'm sorry, on Instagram uh, of him like saying the cancel culture stuff. And then somebody responded, they're like, I guess you like his transphobia. So let's
0: talk about that. Wow. Let's talk about that because I think that's, what's gotten the most attention. And I can easily debunk it right here. If you go to the show, the special, and you let the credits play, I don't know if you knew this, but there's an epilogue.
1: Were you aware? Yeah, I yeah I just I, it didn't play after the credits. It actually I had to go to it separately. All right. So, it was like a se- on my Netflix. It was showing up as like a separate show. But, but yeah, per- I watched
0: that. But you perhaps know where I'm going because there's an experience yes. that he had in San Francisco, and I think this is really hugely important that. In San Francisco, he was there, and I'm not going to tell the full story. I'm just going to tell the, the latter part uh, because he was doing his set and he saw that this trans woman who was at his show was laughing hysterically at everything he said. And <laughs> he was about to do the trans jokes that he had, and he didn't know if he should do them because this woman, he, w- he was thinking, okay, this trans person might not like this material.
1: Yeah, I was gonna get offended because it's about, it's like a trans joke. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then he said, Well, if I can't do them in front of her, then I probably shouldn't be doing them at all, which is a good point. <laughs> and yeah. so he plowed forward and did the jokes. And she laughed at all of them. She probably laughed right. as hard as anyone in that audience, if not harder. And he met up with her after, or he came out of the green room or dressing room following the show she's at the bar her name is Daphne Daphne invites Dave Chappelle over to the bar to have a drink and he goes over and he talks with her and finds out that you know she really likes him um and uh she loves his comedy and she says you know what though Dave you get a really bad rap from the trans community and he's like yeah (laughs) I know and she says Nobody ever realizes that by doing these jokes, you've normalized being a transgender person.
1: Yeah. I, I actually liked that. Yeah, I, I liked that. I, I, I agreed with it too.
0: And that makes um, sense to me. Because think of it. If you have all of these different groups that are trying to get equality and we tell each other that we can't joke about them or share our most deepest reservations slash prejudices. I'm not, I'm not saying that like we're holding people, that we're excusing holding people back and not giving them access to basic programs and rights and and all of that. But we all have attitudes about different groups of people. They're always going to exist in society.
1: Right. Exactly. Uh, No, I I agree. And and I think that
0: the trans joke that he tells um, about the alphabet people (laughs)
1: So funny that was so funny and it was so on point in terms of like how they feel about each other It's a very smart (laughs) joke
0: and and by the way it centers trans people Trans people are the ones who he's sympathizing with the most because they get all this bullshit for holding back the movement for LGBT rights
1: Yeah, and nobody see it. But like I mean, it's just it's funny because um Vice, someone at Vice wrote some article and it was like, just go ahead and skip the Dave Chappelle episode.
0: It was free <laughs> really advertising. Bad.
1: Yeah, it was hilarious because I think more people watched it as a result. I'm like, you can't cancel Dave Chappelle.
0: Yeah, well, like, you know, Dave if, you if, if you see something that says, you should not go watch this, then you say, go you hmm, watch it. why am I not supposed to watch it? Let me go watch it so I can see if I really should not have been watching it. And then I'm going to talk right. about why we shouldn't be watching it. And so it kind of has like, you ever heard of the Streisand effect?
1: Yes. Where it's like. But explain it in case anyone hasn't. Well,
0: like the whole thing, it came from Barbara Streisand. I think she was trying to get her photo taken down or something. And then it just like popped up in all these additional places. And then you have more, <laughs> yeah. you have more fires that you have to put out. And if you just ignored the thing, then you would have been better it goes off. It Like, because then it would have gotten less attention. But now everyone wants it to be. Uh, everywhere so that they can show that, like, hey, we have this freedom of expression to do whatever we want, and you're not going to stop it. So uh,
1: (laughs) that's basically, it's
0: like, you can't tell people not to go watch a comedy special. They're just going to go watch it more so they can talk about it.
1: Yeah. I also thought, like, people also got mad because he defended Louis C.K. And I thought what he said, I think it was kind of similar to what we said last week. Um,
0: Okay, that was hilarious. I I, thought it was funny the way... (laughs)
1: Yeah, I thought it was funny and I thought it was true. Like what he said was absolutely true too. I mean, um, it is
0: pathetic. And and he's not really doing anything to anyone. And it's more like depressing yeah. for him than anybody else.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it was really <laughs> funny. I really anybody who hasn't watched it, go watch it. It's a really it's a really good special that it just kind of speaks to the current times that I, uh, we're dealing with in terms of our, our sort of cultural attitudes. And you know, I think what all what it also speaks to the fact that it was even though so many so many people denounced the special it was also it did so well that I think that that suggests we've reached a tipping point where people are just sick of this shit like there's a lot of people who are just sick of this shit they're sick of the cancels they're sick of the pure it's like a puritanical kind of um it's like a puritanical culture of like you have to police what everybody says you know Mm. what I mean yeah. Uh, where everything's an offense. And I think we've reached a point where people are just sick of it, um, yeah. including people on the left, at least a, a growing number of people. And so I, I hope that means that we're moving towards a point where we're, like, almost past this moral panic. Because I actually think that's what it is. It's a moral panic. Um, it just happens to be happening on the left instead of the right. Because <laughs> in the past, it's been on the right. But, like, I think that means that we we're sort of, like, we've peaked, this moral panic has peaked and we're going to hopefully see like more figures like Dave Chappelle, like smash, like smash it, you know?
0: Yeah. Now I might be ruining a joke, but I just want to like say this in our episode before we move on. So for those of you listening who want to just fast forward like 35, 45 seconds to skip this, you know, you can if you don't want me to ruin a ju- want to hear me ruin a joke. But uh, Juicy Smollier... <laughs>
1: oh my god that i was dying i was actually dying it took me a second because i was like who the fuck is he talking about
0: (laughs) i think that's the best part and to watch all the audience try to get it
1: (laughs) they were like what like a few people laughed but then a lot of people were like who the fuck is he talking about (laughs) this french actor on empire and everybody just like the room just like exploded and i like exploded in laughter
0: <laughs> and i'm gonna say this because it totally goes against the grain of uh, this cancel culture you got to do the nigerian voices and you got it and, and i totally agree that it's a it's a funnier and more fucked up story if if those are the people who are saying those words allegedly <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean I think he I think he hired those guys. Like he like what it turned out was that he hired those guys to like beat him up. <laughs> <laughs> so that he could go to the police station. I mean clearly anybody who does that's like mentally ill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> like guess... he's mental or mentally not well. Like he, a... and like just like a desperate call for attention and like I don't think it's right for him to be, have to be go to jail for that. Like he's being charged and like threatened with like a really long sentence cuz I think it's like a felony to Ah, uh, falsely report a crime,
0: yeah, well, I think um, this whole thing of uh black people being silent as a way of showing support was <laughs> a nice way to put it <laughs> um.
1: yeah, yeah yeah well i didn't say I didn't say anything because like even though it was trending for like a while. And then I was just like reading about it, and it just sounded so batshit crazy. I was like, okay, I don't think there's MAGA people like running around Chicago in like two degrees, like like negative sixteen 10 degree weather or whatever, or negative sixteen degree weather. Like it just like sounds so crazy that um, I just like I never commented on it. And then it ended up being like completely fake, and everybody stopped talking about it.
0: The worst part was how, <laughs> for like a span of a, of several days you didn't want to say anything because you didn't know which way it was going to go. Like one day he told the truth. The next day it was the police who were telling the truth. The next day it was Mm -hmm. like, oh no, now the police are lying and maybe making it up. And Juicy might be right. And then it's like, oh, I'm not going to say it. I am very proud that at no point during that, even though I live in Chicago, I did not say a (laughs) thing about it. I'm pretty sure if I go back to my timeline, that will be found to be true um and then just one quick last thing was that the, 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 i really do encourage people seriously to if maybe all this other stuff sets you off and you can't handle it but the bits about him his life comparing it to poor whites and their life it was really really fucking good
1: yeah that was really good i love that part where he was like um he was like just saying no <laughs> oh my god
0: that is the best line It was so good. If
1: if you don't know what we're talking about, go watch it and then listen to our episode again, and you'll probably ruin
0: like several punchlines. We tried not to. (laughs) Uh, There's one more thing I want to say that's kind of connected to this, and then we've got a couple really important topics to get to before we wrap. But David Koch, one of the Koch brothers, died uh, before or sorry after we recorded the episode. We, we may rest in,
1: may he rest in, may, he, may he rest in peace.
0: And so, <laughs> And so I uh, was it, wanted to share that I tweeted something about David Koch, and it ended up getting picked up by the Daily Caller. Which, what did you tweet? Which is a conservative website that Tucker Carlson co-funds and... Uh,
1: Tanner Carlson goes back and forth. He's all talking about class first these days. <laughs> okay, so... Anyway, what did you say? What did you say? I also, thinking... I think he hates the cokes, so that it makes sense if they would highlight.
0: No, um... Hold on. So, I'm going to read this to you, and I just want you to pay attention to how this changes. Anyone who worked with David surely Charles. experienced his giant personality and passion for life, Charles Koch said. <laughs> David's Philanthropic dedication to education, the arts, and cancer research will have a lasting impact on innumerable lives, and that we will cherish forever. Shadowproof Managing Editor Kevin Gostola tweeted, The Koch family should drop his body out of a luxury jet into the blazing Amazon rainforest in Brazil.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Kevin, that's awesome! And also very creative. I wouldn't have thought of that.
0: And uh, so I just... I had this and eventually... We always say cliche that we're going to get these things framed and put them on our wall. But like, this is a masterpiece. Whoever the editor or the writer was, I don't have it handy, who made this happen. Like, I was laughing hysterically. It made my day. It literally made my day because I spent hours being like i never would have thought that my tweet would be like juxtaposed with this eulogy from charles (laughs) but putting it back to back makes what i tweeted even more (laughs) incredible
1: and it really does and also to be to be clear coke Industries. Is profiting off of like destroying the Amazon, right? And that
0: was my point. So they left out right. the part where I said cremation by environmental arson. He helped fund through the support <laughs> of political regimes like the Bolsonaro government, which by the way, he did actually fund the Coke at one of their organizations, maybe not the more mainstream one, but one of them did give money to Bolsonaro.
1: Yeah, I was reading about that. that. God, Kevin, that's like brilliant. That's really brilliant what you said.
0: And that's was my <laughs> setup. And it was amazing because this what I'm reading this from was a roundup that the Daily Caller did of lefties that were uh, shitting on David Koch. And I basically <laughs> and and if I can say a counter to that, I'm not really saying anything negative about David Koch. I didn't actually attack anything he did in his life. Uh, He's dead now and the family had his body and I just thought that like a good way to pay tribute to the work he did would to be to have him cremated in part of his life's work, which was deforesting and burning down. And imagine his body could land and like where it lands, that could be like Bolsonaro's new favorite development could be built like right (laughs) where his body just happened to land in the in the fire.
1: (laughs) It's really funny. But on that note, maybe it's a good time to segue to the fires.
0: Yeah, and I think that's perfect because uh it's been uh like terrible and I've seen so many people uh just feel like paralyzed. What do we do to stop? How do you stop it? I mean, Brazil's government is the one in control and it's Bolsonaro, it's a fascist. How do you stop it?
1: Yeah, and um on top of that i think that they like they like he refused to take aid money to help stop it
0: right by the way aid money that was way 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 smaller than the money we could come up with for the notre dame cathedral, cathedral after it burned down
1: yeah yeah paltry um, sum.
0: but anyways it was way yeah money? no
1: no because i mean i think like a billion dollars or something was donated to yeah
0: they said 20 rebuild. million for the 20 million for the amazon rainforest a billion for and the like cathedral. the amazon
1: the Amazon is like, though they call it the lungs of the earth, I think it per, it like cleans like 20, I mean, it's like responsible for providing like 20% of the globe's oxygen or something. I could be totally like getting that number wrong, but it's something crazy like that.
0: No, you're not wrong. The so the the, U, the This UN body that's been doing these studies on climate change, um, I, I wrote a little bit about this, so I'm going to paraphrase, is that back, uh, this was like a month ago, they put out this report and... It was mostly highlighting like food security and the sorts of things that we could do in order to deal with the climate change that's unfolding. It did mention that like deforestation is one of those things that exponentially increases, and the and the Amazon is is super crucial to controlling how much uh, we change the Earth's temperature, whether it's going to be one and a half degrees Celsius or Two degrees Celsius.
1: Yeah, and it's like I the reports were about a feedback loop. If the more you destroy the Amazon, if you destroy a certain like a certain up to a certain point, it creates a feedback loop where it continues to worsen and increase the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and you can't stop it. Um,
0: And I also saw some really
1: dangerous. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I
0: also saw somewhere that the sort of damage that's being done. You can't just plant trees and expect everything that was there to come back the damage that we're yeah you're due-
1: destroying entire ecosystems here like all those poor animals oh my god like
0: 10 million years like- was what i saw i saw 10 million years is what t- how long it will take oh. to get it back to the way it was in that like just on a sheer scientific level that is boggling to me that, that the human beings can do this kind of damage in two to three months and wipe out an ecosystem that takes 10 million years to come back.
1: I mean, it really is like, Jesus Christ, humans are so so destructive. It's kind of, it's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. Um, The LA Times. And it's depressing. and It makes you feel really helpless. Like, Go ahead.
0: Well, the LA Times had uh, an editorial. Their editorial board did a good piece blasting Bolsonaro for not caring about the fires. And uh, this is what one of the paragraphs, which these were a couple points that I didn't have at the front of my mind while this is happening, but I think these are good points that are raised. When it comes to carbon, we are an inextricable Inextricably connected world, the U.S. imports about 156 million pounds of beef from Brazil each year, which means our consumption is tied directly to the deforestation. Brazil is the world's largest exporter of beef. Even Trump's trade war with China has an environmental impact. China is replacing soy that it used to buy, that it used to buy from U.S. farmers with soy from Brazilian farmers, which increases the rewards for cutting yet more of the rainforest.
1: What's also stunning about all this is, like, you had headlines and entire articles written that uh, Bolsonaro actually wouldn't be so bad for the economy. He'd be actually good for the economy. The Economist – there was even one outlet. I think it might have been the Financial Times. I'm not sure. So I apologize to the Financial Times if I'm libeling you by saying this. (laughs) But um, I'm, like, 60% sure it was the Financial Times. But the the article was, like, something along the lines of, like, AMLO – in Mexico is wor- is, like, is is like more dangerous than Bolsonaro. Like that's like that, I mean the, the, the way the media treated him when he came to power was like with a shrug and some of them were like with a nod because he'd be good for business. But on top of that, it's like what's also left out is that his rise to power is directly tied to the United States.
0: Absolutely.
1: Like the United States helped Destroy his his uh, the people like he helped destroy the le- like the left wing government. And there's they, all like collaborated with the right wing to bring down a government, and that's how this guy ended up in charge.
0: Yeah, there's all this uh, reporting around like I think it's called Operation Car Wash, right? Yes. And, yeah. And all this all this crucial investigative journalism that's been done by Glenn Greenwald and the arm of The Intercept that he helps stand up in Brazil, that's been doing work um, at risk. The people involved um, are, I mean, he's at risk of deportation and the people involved, these journalists that are doing this work, could be assassinated by paramilitary groups or anybody else mm-hmm. who's working for these corporations that might be just contracted and paid off. To, Cause that's the sort of thing that happens in these Latin American countries. And yeah. Uh, and you can be disappeared. Um, like, hey, they could walk you out to the blaze of the Amazon and just throw you in the fire. Right. I mean, like, no
1: one ever hears from you again. Right. Uh, uh,
0: and and yet here in the U.S., I mean, we we barely have taken the corruption in Brazil seriously. I mean, you don't hear about it at all in the cycle of our news. It it
1: uh, No. Is, in fact, what, our, what people in the U.S. are busy doing is... Um, condescendingly wagging their finger at Glenn Greenwald for uh, apparently helping to support fascism in America by appearing on Fox News, when he has literally done more than anybody's pinky finger in the United States has to fight fascism, like, given his reporting and the danger he's putting himself in.
0: It is amazing to me that, like, you could go to a feed of someone who talks about platforming fascists, but find that they probably aren't paying any attention to like any of the global fascists out there in like Hungary or Brazil or somewhere. Only
1: the ones, um, it's only the ones that uh, America doesn't like that they'll pay attention to. Like as long as it's a government America doesn't like then they'll throw them in with like their hatred of fascists. But otherwise, yeah, they don't have anything to say about far right countries that are allied with the US.
0: But it's it's these we individuals really who the most power they have is that they can go to a circle in the middle of an urban center and command the media's attention for like three hours. Those are the people that are yeah. given all this focus. Whereas like in Brazil, you're actually destroying an entire country and its democratic institutions and as well as all of its ecosystems And, like, that guy is just sort of like, eh, that's boring.
1: Yeah, yeah, very boring, and Glenn Greenwald's apparently a fascist.
0: Or, like, (laughs) I don't know what we can do to stop it, but I think you can stop the guy that has a Nazi tattoo on his arm, and I'm gonna go back to him.
1: (laughs) It's really a pathetic time we live in. It's sad. Uh, well, I will
0: say that one thing that did give me hope, well, oh, sorry. You wanted to talk about Israel. Uh, why don't you do that? And then I want to say something about Bernie's media plan before we wrap the show.
1: Well, with Israel, I mean, Israel basically like bombed three of its neighbors in the course of like 24 hours last week. Um, and it's really dangerous. And like the media is whitewashing it as, as Israel reacting to Iran when Iran hasn't done anything. Um, And so everyone in the region is just, like, really on edge right now waiting to see, like, how this is going to play out because, like, (laughs) I mean, it's just crazy. I don't know how many countries Israel has to bomb to be considered an aggressor. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, nobody bombed Israel, but it's, like, Israel. it's framed as a both sides kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I saw. It's that you just, I guess that's up... kind
1: of all I have to say.
0: Well, why don't you just plug your interview you did with the Pushback Show because you were on with Aaron, our, our dear friend Aaron Mate, and he's got his yes. show up and running, and we announced it here at Unauthorized, Unauthorized Disclosure. Um, I believe our show account. I uh, I went in and made sure that we promoted your interview with him, but he's been having on some really good guests, so it's worth watching some. of Yeah, those he had clips. Greenwald
1: on to talk about the Amazon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good way to catch up, uh, talking about, um, and also they did the conversation about, uh, rush well, well, uh, they did some rush thing, but also it is, it is, incredible. We still have, uh, Rachel Maddow and Lawrence O'Donnell doing the very thing that continues to hand Donald Trump power because they made up a fake news story and they handled it, handed it to him on a silver platter and they ended up having to walk it back.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny to watch. <laughs>
0: About Russian oligarchs funding him.
1: So and, pathetic.
0: And um, so, and now I saw some people being like, well, it didn't check out entirely, but that doesn't mean that they won't confirm some details later. I said, well, here's the problem. It doesn't
1: mean it's not true.
0: It, well, here's the thing. You blew your load early, so nobody's gonna believe you when you actually do put out the story with all the confirmation. That's why you're supposed to sit on it and get that all verified before you sort it out
1: out. before you like jump the gun. Yeah. Uh,
0: So I did want to say before we wrap that uh, Bernie Sanders put out this media plan this past week. Did you see anything about this Rania?
1: I did. It was awesome. It
0: was, it was really, this is a positive news story. We are ending on a high note, although I might laugh (laughs) at Jack Schaefer over at Politico For something he wrote that's insanely stupid. But uh, on the issue itself, uh, no other candidate has put forward a plan like this. And we have had an amazing collapse in journalism. I don't think people really understand how dramatically everything has changed in the last 10 to 20 years here in the United States when it comes to the state of journalism. But this was Bernie's summary. Over the past 15 years, more than 1,400 communities across the country have lost newspapers, which are the outlets local television, radio, and digital news sites rely on for reporting. Since 2008, we have some newsrooms that have lost 28,000 employees. And in the past year alone, 3,200 people in the media industry have been laid off. Today, for every working journalist, there are six people now working in public relations, often pushing a corporate line.
1: Yeah, that is devastating for, like, keeping people um, informed about what's happening in their local communities. And it's also devastating for the media industry because it's impossible to be a journalist. It really is. Like, the only jobs left in journalism are at these big corporate outlets where it's like you get to, like— you have to be like one of the select, you have to be selected from like, it's all nepotism. Everybody knows each other. They're all from like Ivy league institutions. Um, or maybe you accidentally made your way into certain circles <laughs> um, or you're like a kiss up, but there's just like no space to be adversarial because there's no other jobs. Like people, I know, like I know people at newspapers who are big Bernie lovers, but they can't like report honestly about Sanders um, necessarily because like their job will be on the line. Like not that they're attacking him, but like they have to toe a certain line, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, reporting favorably gets taken as your bias and being positive.
1: Exactly. And, exactly. And so,
0: yeah.
1: And what my point is, is like, there's a reason I have to work for like state funded media. Yeah. Like there's a reason I get a lot of work from, from like RT and stuff. It's because there are no jobs in journalism. Like, it's really hard. And there's even fewer jobs in journalism, if you tell the truth. (laughs) Like, so, and even like a friend of mine, even a friend of mine, I was talking to like about war reporting. Like it used to be like 20 years ago, 15 years ago was much easier to get grants uh, and funding for like war reporting. But like all these, I don't know, I doubt Bernie mentions it, but like also not just in the US, but also like a lot of foreign bureaus have been closed. So there's fewer opportunities for people to report abroad.
0: Yeah. Well, hope is fleeting, but I want to briefly mention some of these proposals specifically because to me, uh, and also the fact that he continues to pull very well, uh, it gives me some hope that maybe we'll get some of these, uh, at least maybe a few of these could be a reality at some point. Um, And certainly uh, Joe Biden's mind seems to be decaying by the day. So, uh, and I'm not just saying that because I'm, uh, ageist and mean, but like video evidence suggests that Joe Biden's brain is decaying. <laughs> I don't know how it got so bad, but, um, he's having trouble. Well, Some
1: people, some people, when they get older, like they, their memory is not good anymore. Like they're like, they're, they get, there's like dementia. There's like people become senile doesn't happen to everybody but it happens and it seems like that's what's happening with Biden and it's just like becoming increasingly clear that he can't be president.
0: And (laughs) it's wrong for someone like that to be put in a leadership position because that is not a good thing especially when we're trying to save the planet from burning down to the ground. So these are the basic ideas and the one thing that was really really good idea was this tax, this 2% ad tax on like companies like Facebook and Google, a 2% ad tax on all online enterprises that in 2018 earned more than $200 million in annual digital ad revenues would yield more than $1.8 billion a year for a new and independent public interest media endowment that could hand out grants to news and information projects. So this tax, by the way, was endorsed by a group called Free Press, which used to host media reform conferences, which you and I both used to go to, but for some reason they don't really do it anymore. But um, uh, this is something, this is really a grassroots idea that Bernie Sanders has endorsed. He endorsed ending the rubber stamping of media mergers, a moratorium on future mergers. He um, said that he favors this workplace democracy plan that would also help not just media employees but everyone at different workplaces. So it would make it easier for employees of a media organization to form a union. Employees could organize through a majority sign-up process. The company would not be able to prevent a union by denying a first contract. It would be harder to misclassify employees as independent contractors uh, in order to deny them additional pay. Uh, and then, of course, Medicare for All plan he, he included in his media plan because that would take some pressure off of people who are journalists. Uh, you've had media ownership rules also relaxed by the FCC, by Ajit Pai, who is a lobbyist. He also was the associate general counsel for Verizon at one point in his career as um, a shill for big media, these big corporations. And so... Um, you know you've seen edges given to the right wing Sinclair broadcast group making it possible for them to own more broadcasting corporations and as well as like newspapers in the same markets which is bad for um, our our media system and you know as people might know we have five corporations we're, we're actually back to five corporations that own 90% of the media for a period there was six but I don't know if you realize this, Rania, but CBS just re-merged with Viacom. So that brings it back down to five companies, five corporations. Jesus
1: Christ. Five uh, corporations control everything. Uh, and I, for, for control like 90%, I think, of what you like, read, hear, and watch.
0: And also non-politically. That's crazy. And also to make a quick non-political statement before we wrap up. It's like some of these companies own your entire entire childhood experience as far as like the culture you've consumed like Disney owns almost everything that you ever watched as a child growing up on television owns those characters owns all those trademarks can do whatever they want with those like the Marvel stuff that's part of and it's the power that has been amassed by the fact that this government does not enforce any antitrust regulations uh, is abominable. And that's something that Bernie wants to change. And it's, it's really impacted the ability for smaller organizations to exist and do the news. So this is a very positive plan. This is, this is needed. Um, there's been no plan like this put forward by a presidential candidate in the history of this country that I'm aware of. That I am aware. I'm sure in
1: a few. I'm sure by next week, Elizabeth Warren will have come out with like a half baked plan, and then everybody will be like, "Wow, she has a plan for everything." Yeah. Because that seems to be the, now, the pattern. i On one of the. Sometimes soon we'll need to talk about that. By the way, <laughs> the fact that Elizabeth Warren has replaced seems to be quickly replacing Joe Biden as the preferred establishment candidate, and the way that's being pushed. But anyway, we, we'll get into that another time. Oh um, wow, this but is so amazing. Actually, the reality. The reality you just laid out by the way Kevin about like Disney owning like how much of of what you've seen and your like culture throughout your childhood it's actually funny to me that like all of these things that capitalism is producing are the things they like would warn you about communism yeah it's like when information is controlled in such few hands like that like how freaking dystopian is that
0: and it doesn't have to be the government. It doesn't have to be the government that owns yeah. this because the corporations are working in lockstep, lockstep with the government. That's, the, right, th- that's right. the thing. Or the government fears the power of these corporations because you know, you saw this with the economic collapse that happened. You could hold the banks accountable for the fraud they committed, but if you did, it might tank the economy even more. They can hold the economy hostage, the health of the economy. They can threaten, uh, well, not threaten, but they can say, you know, if you don't prosecute us, we'll be able to get things back to normal faster. But if you do come after us, I can't make any guarantees. It's very mafia-like.
1: Because they have all the power. Like At this point, you've got multinational corporations that really are more powerful than states, like by far. And they are the ones that control governments, not the other way around. Um, so it is a kind of tyranny uh, for sure. And it's so dystopian and it just, it's just funny to me because all of these tropes and like, and like fear mongering about like, well, communism, you know, from the cold war era, like communism will produce this, like you'll have no choices. Communism will produce little apartments where you have no room to move. And then you've got people like living in closets in New York city, <laughs> cause they can't afford anything else. or like paying an insane amount of money to live in like what's, what looks like a box. <laughs> um it's just kind of like kind of fascinating how you just like are you just projecting what capitalism turns into <laughs> like <laughs> anyways, a conversation for a different time, but just it just struck me when you were talking about like this one company owning so much of the information that you see
0: so there's um, one thing to squeeze in here about Sanders because he was in his op-ed which people could go read at the Columbia Journalism Review. He introduced his media plan about his ideas by framing it around uh, you know, real journalism and, and what that is and how we've gotten away from real journalism. And he named some examples. And so Jack Schaefer over at Politico wrote one of the most ridiculous things at the end of his piece about Bernie's plan. And he said, Sanders claims that, quote, real journalism, end quote, exposed the crimes of Watergate. As historians of journalism, W. Joseph Campbell and Mark Feldstein note, the real heroes were federal prosecutors, federal judges, the FBI, grand juries, Congress, and the Supreme Court. And so (laughs) this is like, you can't win. Like, I mean, obviously... That had an amazing impact on the trajectory of what happened. I don't know that any of those people you just named from the establishment do anything to address this corruption if it isn't first exposed by journalists. But
1: Right, exactly. I mean, I'm not going to well, sit here then, and
0: argue with you if you're like, well, journalists, journalists are not prosecutors. Y- you got me there.
1: <laughs> yeah, Jack Schaefer seems to be a regular at being an idiot.
0: Uh, It's just pedantic and it's one of those things where it's like I also have seen like people might have detected this as well but it's like the CNN people are especially interested in instigating conflict between Sanders and the media and particularly CNN and I think it's because they want to have him on a level as with like with Trump like they want it to confirm their prejudice that he's somehow like the equivalent of Trump but he's like the left's Trump And so they want him to go after them and treat them like fake news, like Donald Trump treats CNN as fake news, so it can confirm what they deeply within their minds suspect um, or want to believe, because it makes it easier for them to do their job. Because if he's not the equivalent, then they might have to actually see something positive about what Bernie Sanders is doing, and that would be hard for them as a corporate news network. But... It's like I saw Oliver Darcy being like, "Real journalism." So what is that? Is that like the opposite of fake news?
1: <laughs> oh my god, these people are pathetic, and they actually stand to lose if there's more democratic media because <laughs> they're gatekeepers. They're gatekeepers. I mean, I wouldn't need any like, of these.
0: I wouldn't need any. I wouldn't need a Chris Saliza. I wouldn't need a Brett Stevens. I wouldn't need. And right. pe- if we had more Democratic media, you wouldn't need to see half of these motherfuckers on MSNBC ever. And I mean that. And I mean that with that word. Yeah. And they deserve to be put in that way. And on that harsh note. But again, I still feel uplifted. I still feel like Bernie's plan is moving us in a good direction and putting some issues on the table that our progressive folk, like, like people in our progressive circles haven't really considered seriously for a longest time. And finally, it's like right. It's amazing to me to have called the collapse of journalism be possibly part of the primary. That is important.
1: Right. Yeah. Me too. I agree with you one hundred percent. On that note, um, I think we're out of time. Yeah. And,
0: <laughs> uh, we're so happy that you continue to support the show. Uh, we did actually pick up um, an extra patron. I mean, we're 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 up from last week. Uh, we've got a, some. We've got some new people who are supporting the show and thank you we're gonna continue to put out shows um we're gonna take a break in september but from october through to the end of the year we'll have a full slate of shows and yep. it's gonna be uh, a really good conclusion to this year's season so until then yeah i'll let you sign off right another yeah?
1: one yeah I, well i i don't have anything else to add well that's a bad sign off. okay until then Have a great week and we'll be back soon.